Welcome to the I.O. Podcast, an initiative of the Electronic Communication Committee of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, sharing perspectives and challenging ideas on current topics and trends in the field. I am your host, Kelly Stewart. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the presenters and guests and do not reflect the views or constitute any official statement of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. To many of those who are just starting on their career paths in IO psychology, networking is portrayed as this sort of glorified process where we envision going to a conference or a networking event in a suit with our brand new shiny business cards and having these intellectual fruitful conversations with important people that will hopefully ultimately get us to that perfect job position or internship. As I'm sure most of you have already acknowledged, networking is not always going to go as smoothly as we anticipate. It can be tricky, but with the proper knowledge, tools, and, well, patience, networking can prove itself to be very powerful. In this episode, we talk about networking. What does building a professional network look like? Why do we need it? And most importantly, how do we do it? Dr. Eleni Lobine is an associate consultant at Aon Hewitt. She specializes in leadership and assessment, wherein her objective is to optimize how candidates move through the selection process. She focuses in areas such as simulation, personality, computer adaptive assessments, cognitive assessments, and situational judgment tests. Eleni shares with us some interesting networking experiences she's had, as well as some things she's learned about networking throughout her career so far, and provides some really great advice on the do's and don'ts of building a professional network. How might one best go about managing their expectations when it comes to networking? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's two pieces to this. First piece is that not everyone is going to end up being a critical part of your network. And the second piece is set realistic goals and expectations, particularly set realistic goals. So um, with the first thing here, I think it's really just important to go in acknowledging the fact that, like I said, not everyone is going to become that key person in your network who's going to get you that job right, Um, right away. So we all learned in, you know, kindergarten, for example, that you aren't going to be best friends with every person you meet. Um, and some people are simply less interested in networking than others. Uh, and that's, that's okay. I think it's just a matter of knowing that um, if even if you meet one person who you stay in touch with, that's actually pretty good. Like that's a, um, that's a, could be a very good connection. Um, so, so have that expectation in mind. I think just tapering those expectations um, and being realistic uh, is helpful. But the second piece that I mentioned, so as with most endeavors <laughs> as an IO psychologist, I'd recommend setting SMART goals. Um, and the realistic piece of the SMART goal being very important here. So, for example, take PSYOP. I set goals for PSYOP, like how many people I want to connect with, when, how, um, with what specific purpose. And just kind of to have a, a clear direction of like what my goal is for um, for meeting people, um, but also being willing to throw that plan out the window. Uh, if, you know, I'm meeting people who are of a different background than I was hoping for, that's 
that's fine. Like, that's totally fine. Because at the end of the day, you don't know where your next job is going to come from. You don't know what connection. It might be the person who you thought would be the least um, helpful just based on, you know, what, what you see on paper, uh, who ends up really helping you in the long run. So I think it's going in with an open mind, being willing to be flexible and, you know, tapering those expectations. What might be, to you, the ideal networking conversation? And how should someone go about initiating this type of conversation, for instance, at a conference or a networking event? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think that you called out here the unstructured environments where you might try and start up a conversation, right? So at a networking event or a conference. And I actually think those are probably the hardest settings um, in which to start up a conversation. Yeah. um, So I do have some thoughts of the ways that you can make it as least painful as possible. Um, And, you know, recognizing that there are uh, that conversations look different based on the the context, um, if that makes sense. So, you know, I actually was recently attending a networking event and did not know anybody. I didn't know a soul. Um, and it was, you know, those are always the trickiest, I think, to kind of break into the crowd. So what I typically do now, I kind of figured this out along the way, is that one trick is to casually beeline for the refreshment table. Hopefully there is one or whatever <laughs> table is set up. Yeah, I know it sounds silly. Um, but as you're getting your food or drink, usually there's somebody else standing there. Um, and you can kind of make a generic comment, right? So I, I typically would say something like, you know, a joke. And that really helps just like get the door open. And then once you have, you know, that first little exchange, it becomes much easier to pull out those questions that you have in your pocket. like. Uh, oh, so where do you work? Or are you from this area? <laughs> those kinds of things. And I think if you have those questions in your back pocket, you kind of find a way to, to start that first conversation. It gets much easier from there. Um, on the other side, um, it's much easier if you know somebody, of course, because you can kind of start with that person you know and start working the room from, from that from that person. So usually that person will know someone or you can somehow break into the crowd together. They don't know anyone either. Um, And that can kind of make it a little bit easier. Okay, so you would recommend that if you are going somewhere where networking could potentially happen to have someone with you that knows people and can introduce you to others. Yeah, I mean, if if possible. Um, Like I said, I've gone to them before where I don't know anyone just because no one else is available and I didn't want to miss it. Um, And when it can be a little bit more socially awkward at first, uh, it's still very worthwhile uh, of an opportunity. So um, I think think that's sort of, I would recommend not passing up an opportunity just because someone else isn't there to go with you, Um, but use these different strategies to break into the conversation. An important thing to consider is what types of topics are appropriate to bring up and should you share things about yourself even if they're unsolicited by the other person? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think that there's no ideal conversation uh, because no two interactions are going to be exactly the same. Um, And really you can measure your success by whether or not you learn something about or from that person. Now, 
you know, if you're at an event and the theme is X, Y, Z, then you, and that happens to be related to your research interests, it's easier, I think, to bring that up. Um, but the key thing about, in my opinion, about making for an effective networking interaction is to try and gauge the other person where they are, ask questions, and then drive the conversation that way. Um, so, you know, you want to make it so that way they're comfortable and you're able to communicate effectively. So, you know, if you're there really for one point, for one reason, and that's to share <laughs> about your research interests, then you probably should bring that up, right? But if you're looking to just build a network more broadly, um, I wouldn't go in with a pigeonholed expectation of this is what I'm going to talk about. Um, I would recommend kind of being flexible in that regard. Okay, so it sounds like what you're suggesting is to take the conversation in more of an other-oriented direction as opposed to a self-oriented direction. So as opposed to talking about what you like and what your interests are and what your job is, asking them what they like and wanting to know more about them. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing to, to build on that is people have... Uh, especially in the research community, right? And I have lived in the research community for a long time. We tend to get into the weeds really, really, really fast. And most people, unless they are in that same set of weeds, <laughs> are going to gloss over really quickly with that information. So again, like gauge the audience, um, have like little tiny sound bites, prepared uh, elevator speech type thing. Uh, available to, to make that conversation more consumable by the other person. Have you ever tried to strike up a conversation with someone you really want to make a connection with and epically failed to do so? Maybe the conversation was just dull or not quite how you expected it to go. So the person just walked away? Well, Eleni talks about in what types of contexts attempting to establish a connection could potentially go south and how to avoid this from happening. Yeah, so I was thinking about this one a bit. I think that okay like put aside like don't hit on people don't be inappropriate don't talk politics and religion immediately <laughs> you know like all of that sort of more obvious stuff um that hopefully we don't have to talk about in this setting um all that is set aside i think that um attending to individual differences and not assuming that everyone is like you is very important so i'll tell a little story here i actually um <laughs> made a mistake once and was at a, uh, a PSYOP uh, reception event and I realized I, at the time I was working in a place um, where we had a very geographically dispersed workforce and so uh, I had met, worked with people over the phone but never met them in person and I, I was really excited to meet people in person. So um, at one point I realized I recognized someone's face from a picture and I like darted over and I introduced myself and shook his hand and was so excited to meet him. And the poor guy, he was a total introvert. And the poor guy, I just totally overwhelmed him <laughs> with my, with my um, bubbly, like jumping in front of him to, to talk to him um, approach. And so I'm pretty sure I was his worst nightmare and he ran away as fast as he possibly could. <laughs> but, um, but that really taught me and it was perfectly fine after the fact. Um, but 
he that taught me a really important lesson, and that is that when it comes to networking and building relationships um, in professional settings, you have to be really attuned to other people's preferences and individual differences. And we don't talk about this a whole lot, I think, um, but it's really important because you know it's critical to pick up on those cues because different people have different communication styles. Um, and you want to be able to adjust your communication based on their needs, right? So in a networking situation, you kind of want to be other-oriented. You want to be able to be attuned to the other person's needs first and foremost and adjust as much as you, you know, you can or you're able to. So I'm an extrovert, so I have to be cognizant of that. I think um, on the flip side, as someone who is someone's more introverted, maybe what they should be thinking about is the fact that intentional networking requires extra energy um, for them. And so they need to stockpile beforehand and, you know, take their time by themselves before heading out to that event and, um, and, you know, be ready to expend that energy. So I, I really think and take that downtime to recharge beforehand and afterwards too. So I think the bottom line here is, you know, no, know the person, try and know the person who you are interacting with, try and tailor your approach to them because, um, it'll be a total deal breaker if you go in, um, and just sort of totally ignore their personality and, um, their communication style. Say you've just had a conversation with someone and you're feeling really good about it. You feel like you've made a connection and you'd really like to keep that person in your professional network. How should one best go about following up with that person and maintaining that connection? Yeah, so, you know, I think that's a really, really important point because when I um, first was thinking about this topic earlier, you know, I was saying in my head, okay, you have to reach out, you have to follow up, you have to stay in touch. Most people just don't bother, or they don't follow through on that, and that's really important. Um, to, to just keep the connection open because just with like with any interpersonal relationship, if you don't stay in touch, it fizzles, right? That's just the nature of the human, um, humankind. So I think it is important to keep the connections open. Um, I think that LinkedIn is an incredibly effective tool for that. I, working in, um, industry, really pretty much everyone I come into contact with is on LinkedIn, Um, So that's kind of become the norm for staying in touch. And that's nice because then you're not having to call or email um, and feel like you're nagging all the time. However, it's definitely helpful to do those phone calls every once in a while. You have an email every once in a while. It depends on the frequency, depends on the purpose, I would say. So if there's a job opening and you've applied for it, like that's a little bit different than just keeping that relationship going, right? It might vary um, in practice versus academia, but I would say, you know, every month, couple months, um, that's actually probably a good pace every couple to months or even every quarter to just keep a relationship going. Um, but I, you know, if you start trying to contact someone every week, it's not going to end well for you. <laughs> it's now 2017 and a lot of communication is happening over social media. So I think it's safe to assume that a lot of networking is happening over social media sites as well. Eleni discusses the role that popular social media sites such as LinkedIn and Twitter 
play in networking. She talks about how to build your presence on social media and how to leverage social media as a resource that can help you build connections and keep those connections. In order to do social media effectively, um, you have to have a very targeted approach. Um, so you want to you want to target people who have like a full LinkedIn profile and seem engaged on social media. It's totally fine to look at alumni network lists and target those people on social media. Uh, look at people who have a specific subset of expertise that you're interested in um, and be very strategic with what you say. So don't just reach out to someone and say, hi, thanks for letting me join your network. Uh, I really think your work is cool. You know, like that's that's nice and friendly, but you're not going to get a response from that. Like people are busy. They're just not going to respond. Um, so the most effective way to, to manage those conversations is to ask really pointed questions about their job. Um, have a particular goal in mind for that conversation uh, and, you know, Practice your interpersonal skills. Don't be too direct and too just all about business. Um, I find that it's helpful to have a mix of that, right? So, um, hi, I'm so-and-so. I, too, went to XYZ school, and I'm really interested in learning more about um, your role at Aon Hewitt, for example, where I work. Uh, do you think that we could set up a time to talk, or could we grab coffee if we're in the same city? Um, I think those kinds of messages, you're much more likely to actually get a meaningful start to a conversation from something like that. Okay, so it sounds like the emphasis here is on catering the message to where it's more personal. It's more directed towards that person, as opposed to sending out some sort of uniform mass message to five or six different employers that outlines your areas of expertise and credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because otherwise it, it has to be personal, right? It's for social media, you have to take a personal approach, I think, for it to be effective. So it seems like we have this overarching theme of personalizing the message you're sending, not only in an interpersonal setting, but also over an online platform. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Now, we've talked about social media and the role that it plays in networking, and how do you network effectively on social media sites? One of the most popular social media sites, if not the most popular, is Twitter. I noticed quite a bit of recruitment efforts and advertisements for job positions happening over Twitter. So what are your thoughts on that? Would you suggest being more active on Twitter for networking purposes? Yeah, you know, I think that's that's a good approach. Um, some people really like to use Twitter. Um, I've heard that it's, and it is becoming a more and more effective way, I think, to track those kinds of opportunities. You can follow companies, you can follow uh, professional organizations and get really immediate information from uh, companies and from organizations about what's going on. And so that, yeah, it's a great tool if you are a, a Twitter person. Um, I have used, I've dabbled in Twitter. I found it to be slightly less effective than LinkedIn um, just because there's less of like the profile thing going on. So you don't necessarily have as much information on hand about 
you know, what a particular person is doing. But, but if you're using it to follow like the experts, right. Or, um, the organizations and the trends, then yes, different companies are using it to more or less extent than others. So there's, there's a broad variety, but if you're looking for a job, for example, uh, why not be in the place where companies can super, super, super quickly push out opportunities as soon as they become available. It's also your opportunity to show where you're an expert. So you can be very strategic about what updates you're pushing out, um, what you're liking, what you're resharing, um, because that content builds your brand. And people see that and they realize where your expertise is, where your interests are, and it really starts to paint a picture for people about who you are as a professional. So um, I think that's a great way to to build your brand as you're building your network. So to expand on this idea of sort of painting a picture of yourself, there really are no rules or standards on how to build your profile or your presence in general on LinkedIn. Do you have any advice as far as best practices for building your LinkedIn profile, maybe with regard to what types of content you should and should not include on your page? You know, I think that LinkedIn in particular has a really good setup for uh, collecting the right kind of information from people. (laughs) So you know, you might not want to be posting uh, really personal stuff, um, things that are going to annoy your network. Like you don't want to be posting pictures of kittens. That's, in my opinion, entirely inappropriate and reflects really poorly on (laughs) your brand. Um, There are other places where you might want to go ahead and post your pictures of kittens. But, you know, use that space um, to fill it up. I mean, if you're not filling the space, somebody else is. So, you know, your profile should be at the expert level or whatever standards they apply, whatever labels they apply to the, the degree of sophistication of your profile. Like, fill it out. Fill out your degrees, your experience, have a summary. Um, maybe throw up a blog post or two every once in a while if you have a really clear, um, strong perspective on something that is, that's going to reflect positively on you professionally even, you know, from like a paper you wrote in school if you're a student or um, a project you're working on at work that you're allowed to talk about, write something, put it out there, make sure it's good. um, Because that's going to really be, that is going to be the first thing that when you apply for a job, that's going to be the first thing people look at. They're going to look, go straight to your LinkedIn profile and check you out. So um, I don't think you can spend enough time putting together a high quality uh, profile. Now you describe LinkedIn as a sort of platform that one can leverage in order to make connections. In your opinion, is it appropriate to initiate a conversation and try and establish a connection with someone over LinkedIn, even if you don't know them or they don't know who you are? No, it is not inappropriate. I think what becomes inappropriate is maybe how you manage that conversation if it's not done well. But uh, maybe there is a time when it would have been inappropriate to reach out to someone you don't know Uh, that time has passed. So I actually believe that social media can be very helpful in networking. Um, And in fact, in business schools, they teach you to do that now. So um, people have different approaches to this. Uh, You know, I actually have kind of started being in the past couple years of the school of thought that it's okay to just accept if someone reaches out to me and wants to be connection on LinkedIn, I just accept it. Um, I used to kind of screen and only accept people who I knew. But at this point, 
I don't think, you know, when we're talking about making connections, and this is a very, um, in the world that I work in and, you know, looking for opportunities to grow business and um, just know what's going on in my industry. Um, I've heard other people say that's sloppy, that you shouldn't just accept people. Um, but that's become a very effective approach for me. Based on your experience, where or in what types of contexts do you think effective networking happens most often? You know, we have talked about networking events, we've talked about conferences, we've talked about social media, and I would say really all of the above. Okay, so any place where you can find other people with whom you could conceivably work, uh, you can be networking. Um, so maybe that conversation isn't going to be as formal. Like maybe you meet someone on the, you know, Metro or something. Um, you might not have, which never happens by the way, but you know, uh, like go with me here and have an informal conversation, give your elevator pitch and you never know where that small little networking interaction could go. So, um, I don't believe there's any one place where you should be networking. Um, if you're wanting to aggressively build your network, you probably should be taking advantage of any and all opportunities that you have available. Um, But I would say absolutely do not underestimate the power of the personal interaction. So when you have the opportunity to go to that networking event or go to that conference, um, those are critical opportunities because you can really get to know someone more quickly, I think, um, with a face-to-face interaction than you can over social media or even over the phone. So going back to this idea of taking the conversation in a more other-oriented direction, Eleni discusses in what context it's appropriate to offer some sort of work or research-related assistance to that person. For example, asking if you can help them analyze a data set or offering to contribute to a project that person is currently involved in. should be focused on the other person. You should be trying to figure out how you can show your value and how you can help them through that conversation. But you don't necessarily have to be agreeing to do free work for them, right? Um, I think it's more along the lines of, oh, you know, you're interested in improving your um, employment employee selection practices. You know, that's really interesting. I've actually been doing work in a similar field, uh, I've been developing assessments for people who need this, that, and the other. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if it, it might be helpful to have a conversation about, you know, what I'm doing, because, you know, I'd love to talk more about that with you if you're interested. Um, I, I'd love to learn about what you guys are doing right now, because I'm always interested in learning about, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, you kind of have to, pl- and I'm totally just ad-libbing there, but kind of trying to figure out like where the connection is and maybe what information you have that might be valuable to them. Um, but without actually saying, oh, hey, let me analyze that data for you. I mean, there may be times when that's a great strategy. Um, so don't get me wrong uh, that that could be something good to do, but you also want to come off as desperate, right? So there's, there's like a fine line to walk there, I think. How important is networking to the field of IO psychology specifically? Is this a tool that ought to be considered vital to creating and maintaining a successful career in I.O.? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And the answer is 
our field is tiny, very tiny, and our special areas of specialization are even tinier. Um, in fact, to give you an example, when I was applying for jobs, my advisor from graduate school, and I had been out of graduate school for a little bit um, when I hit the job market because I was recruited to my first position after grad school, um, my advisor knew <laughs> what job offers I was getting before I did. Um, and he wasn't even listed as a reference. So how did that happen? Prospective employers knew him um, and reached out to him for the inside scoop. So, so yes, networking and IO is in my opinion, not really an option. I think that you never know where your next opportunity will come from, um, but it's certainly going to come from somewhere in your network unless you're working outside of the field, which I actually did for four years, um, but then it all comes full circle again. <laughs> so you, you, um, you will pretty much always need to have that network to leverage um, and keeping a healthy network is just, it's invaluable. Um, you just, your network will influence your career path in ways you may not expect. We are not in a world where there are seven degrees of separation. It's probably more like two <laughs> degrees of separation <laughs> of that. So it's a very small world. Um, so yeah, that's, that's critical. Do you have any final tips or suggestions for listeners regarding networking that you personally believe to be most important? So I think you should consider adjusting your strategy a bit based on your goal. So whether your mission is to find a job or close a sale or um, collect business cards, uh, it may be an intense recommendation, but if, if you have an intense goal, I highly recommend having a spreadsheet, tracking contacts, having follow-up dates. Um, if you're looking for a job, like you, you're not going to be able, and you're doing a very intense networking uh, search, you you will forget <laughs> who you've talked to when you've talked to them. So um, I highly recommend that. And then really, if you're looking to build your network more slowly, um, you're not on the job market, you're just kind of thinking more broadly about the future, uh, you can be a bit more relaxed about it, of course, but add those people on LinkedIn, respond to posts that people make, um, keep ongoing like communication out there. Otherwise, uh, that connection will fade. But really, at the end of the day, you know, don't be scattered, be focused, have a goal, um, and try not to talk the whole time. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> A really interesting perspective from Eleni and awesome networking advice. Eleni is an author of a blog called Talent, Rewards, and Performance Leadership Assessment. The blog covers just about anything and everything talent-related, discussing topics on both the I and O side, like accelerated learning, high-stakes testing, and humanitarian work psychology. So if you're interested in learning more about Eleni and the areas she specializes in, check out the blog. Our next guest is Jan Sieving. Jan currently serves as the Director of Communications and Corporate Affairs at Southwestern Energy, an oil and gas company based in Houston, Texas. Jan has been in the oil and gas industry for over 20 years now. She specializes in areas such as public and media relations, government relations, and corporate social responsibility. She's made quite a few career changes throughout her life and talks to us about the role that networking has played throughout the course of her career. She shares an interesting narrative that really conveys the power of networking and the value of engaging in interpersonal communication. 
networking is incredibly important and it's interesting because it was important at the beginning of the, of my career in the 90s and then uh you know you they, they tell you you move away and with the advent of social media and all the online um, you would think it would play less of a role but i have found that it 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 still plays a strong role and the good example i have is that um i was looking for a job and I went and spoke at a conference, and the, someone else also on the panel at the conference uh, heard there I was looking for a job and said, we're hiring at Southwestern, you should come interview. I had an interview within a week and a job offer within two weeks. And it was just an incredible set of circumstances, and it, it wouldn't have happened online. So if you wouldn't have showed up to that conference, you don't think that would have happened yeah, definitely. And it was just that personal connection, right? That I think maybe if they had seen a profile online, maybe or maybe there wouldn't have been interest. But what would have distinguished me from anyone else online? I think there's ways to be very savvy online. And I think you can gain a reputation and credibility and you can demonstrate your expertise. But to me, there's always going to be that interpersonal aspect. And I, I just think it's irreplaceable. I think there's a lot you can do. You can do, you know, video chats. There's a lot of other ways to communicate. You know, even within, like, networking within a company, I find that um, through email and video conferences and telephone calls, you can communicate. But it makes a huge difference once you've met the person in person, and then you have a connection. Because otherwise, it's just interacting with someone that you've never met. And then once you've met them, it's it's even easier to communicate via electronic devices, right? But it's hard, I think, to make a strong personal connection electronically. So it was that interpersonal aspect of it, you think, that just really nailed it in? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so how did that interaction go? You, you said you were, you were on a panel, you were, you're part of the panel, right? And there was someone else on the panel with you. And so how did that interaction, did it happen after the panel? And, and how did that go? Did, did you approach that person? Did they approach you? No, it was, uh, it was a, it, it came out that I was job searching and she knew that her company, even though that wasn't her department, she knew that her company was hiring. And because I made an impression on her, apparently, which I'm grateful for, um, she she recognized um, that, that it was a good fit based on that interpersonal connection. And so then she um, contacted the HR person. They contacted me immediately. And again, I had a job interview within a week. Within every interaction lies its own dynamic, and Jan really emphasizes this idea of sort of enhancing that dynamic through interpersonal, face-to-face interaction. While it is important to keep social media as a tool in your networking toolbox, it's also important to acknowledge how far a face-to-face interaction can take you. Jan speaks more on this idea by discussing how attending and getting involved with conferences can be a really valuable experience, especially with regard to networking. I mean, it's tempting when you're in the workforce to just sit at your desk and pound things out all day. It's really easy to get to a point where you're internally focused. 
but it's not always motivating. And when you get yourself out of the office and you're talking to other people, you're hearing other great ideas, you're commiserating on similar challenges, you find out how other people have solved things, and um, and and you're learning new things. And I know that there's a lot that you can do um, online, and that you know it's less expensive, and there's no travel, and it's a lot easier. But but there's some element that you're missing. And, and, you know, it's not that motivating to sit in a webinar online, right? Like going in, there's nothing like a dynamic speaker. There's nothing like, you know, hearing someone and laughing out loud. Um, it's easy to be distracted online, whereas when you're in the room with someone, it, you know, it, it goes back to that connection. us, including myself, often get on LinkedIn, send messages, send our resumes, which again is a very powerful tool for making connections. But Jan's point speaks to the difficulty of making a strong, memorable impression on someone when you're communicating online. A lot of times we resort to online communication for networking purposes because the person we want to connect with is all the way across the country or across the world and they're just inaccessible. And that's okay. But as Jan said, it's really important to take the opportunity to get out of the office when you can and go to conferences, attend networking events at the conferences, and just get involved with them as much as you can. You never know what type of connection you might make by simply just showing up. As we discussed earlier, Jan is pretty well established in her career, so with that experience comes people who reach out and try to make a connection with her. She discusses her receptiveness towards people who reach out to her for, say, help with finding a job or who just want her advice or guidance. so fortunate in my career. I've had great mentors. I've had great people that have reached out. I've had fortuitous circumstances. And it makes me very grateful. It makes me want to help um, however I can. And so, yes, when I go out there and someone approaches um, and, and it's especially have a specific question, you know, I may not have a job. So if all they're looking at is, you know, can you hire me? No. Okay, we're done. That, you know, there's not much interaction there. But I'm always so glad to help, especially people newly starting in their career or students looking to, you know, get a get a hold is here's some ideas. I like to tell the story of my career because I think it's interesting how where you start out is not necessarily where you end up, but it's a journey along the way. And I and I like to give a lot of advice. One thing I give um, advice I give for college students is lots of internships because that gives you exposure and that also gives you the chance to see what you like and don't like. You know, you've just gone to school, gotten your degree, and you think maybe you think you want to do this, but how do you really know until you get in and get, you know, get your hands around it, get your head wrapped around it, do it, and really see. And like me, I think people find that what they like and what they don't like and what they want to gravitate towards. And I also, you know, just advocate exactly what we're talking about, network as much as possible, you know, with family, with friends, with friends of family, with neighbors of family, with, um, you know, go to conferences and just meet people, um, as long as you're not hounding them, <laughs> really, I think, are, are like me, have a, a genuine interest in helping people along the way. It doesn't mean that I can hire you. So, 
so that can be a little bit disarming, but but I'm glad to answer your questions and give you some suggestions or let you know if I've heard anything. This might be a, <laughs> this is an interesting question, but have you ever had an incident where a student or um, someone has approached you attempting to make a connection with you um, and they've said something or done something that just really threw you off and you, that's it, I'm done. I'm not interested in furthering this conversation or connection. Yeah, a little bit. And I don't know students so much, but definitely I get sales calls every day and they've sent me an email. They keep calling back. I really, for me, it's the kind of thing um, Whereas, great, I have your information. If I want more information, I will contact you. When people start to badger me a little bit, and that's when I just shut down and I don't want anything to do with them. And I think the same can be true for a student. And, And again, imagine I probably have 150 emails a day. So one more in the mix is, is, you know, it's just one more task. But if I'm out and about, Um, someone introduces me to their son or daughter, to a friend, sends me the resume of a friend. I am always, well, generally willing to make time. And and then the person just has to understand that um, they need other sources too, right? Like I have 10 minutes. Here's what I can tell you in 10 minutes. Here's the questions I can answer. Um, And that's what I can give at this moment. And so for students, I would just recommend people are busy. They're generally willing to help ask good questions, ask for advice, um, you know, ask if they can send the resume in case there's something that comes up. And, and that's about the extent of it. And, you know, you can ask too, like, can I check in with you? Or if I have a question, can I call back? Can I email you if I have any, you know, questions as I'm, as I'm searching for a job? And I think generally, if the student doesn't overdo it, most people really are willing to help. So if there's someone that were to notice you at a conference, they see you on a panel and they're like, man, I really want to get in touch with Jan. Seems like an interesting woman that, you know, could answer some questions that I have. Um, You don't know who they are. Would you be receptive to them emailing you, um, even though you've never spoken to them before, you're not familiar with who they are? I am glad to. And again, it goes back to the question. People think that if they're aggressive, um, that it makes them stick out. But for me, that just shuts me down. Like, we're done here. I, I don't need that. Whereas a really interesting pointed question or something funny or that, hey, I'm desperate here. If there's anything you can do to help me out, um, any advice you can give, that's for me, a much better approach. If it's something to the effect of, hey, I'm thinking about going into corporate communications and I I have to choose between this class or this class, something like that, would you recommend I get a minor in business? Do you think that's a helpful thing? Then that's something that I can answer with some expertise and it's a little easier to engage on that level. And again, you know, it's just don't, um, don't badger, don't confound, don't you know, be pesky. And I think people are willing to help. That's my advice. What type of advice would you have for, say, a student who, or anyone who's attending their first conference? So this is their first time. They don't know what to expect. Uh, They come prepared or they think they're prepared, but, you know, what would you, what advice would you have as, here's what to expect. Here's how to navigate your first conference in terms of uh, trying to make connections with people. 
I think it's great. I think that's a great way and really go prepared to listen to the speakers and not focus so much on, okay, I'm going to, you know, gain from networking here. Go listen to the speakers, be open, talk to the people around you, uh, you know, engage, be conversational, have some good questions. Again, you know, I'm interested to know more about what you do. What kind of work do you do? What does that look like? What does that look like on a daily basis? What kind of education? What would you have done differently? Um, Is it changing? And I think you get the information from the conference and then you get a lot of benefit from that, just casual networking and that, and, and just striking up conversations. But you can't be too demanding. And you have to, you know, there has to be some char- uh, charisma there, some interaction, some reason why someone wants to hold a conversation with you. So what have you learned about networking this far in your career? And Based on what you've learned, um, do you have any sort of take-home advice for listeners? You know, I think networking is so multifaceted. The thing that comes to me is mentoring and and find a good mentor. Um, Professors, friends, someone, you know, if you are working, someone in the workplace with more knowledge. And what I like to remind um, kind of the new entry workers is you can be a mentor too. Maybe there's a skill you have. Maybe you're super good at LinkedIn or social media. And maybe there's someone there that wants to set up a profile or wants to tweet and doesn't know how or whatever it is. Just just keep that in mind, too, that you that's a good way of establishing a relationship because it's not all one way. So um, find a good mentor and be a good mentor, I think, is a great aspect of networking. And I think you just keep, it's so easy when you get busy to, um, again, go internal and just focus there. But it's really important to keep up your networks um, because you never know when you're going to need it. And, and not necessarily from a selfish point of view, but when you need something, you don't want to be reaching out to people that you haven't talked to in years. You really want to keep up those networks in a very sincere kind of way, because it's really not about, okay, what am I going to get out of this? It's, you know, keep up the networks because it's a good thing. People will ask things of you, and then eventually, you know, uh, you're going to ask for a favor and need something, and and you want that all established because you, you shouldn't be trying to establish a network overnight. You shouldn't only reach out to people the second you want a job. You know, so for students, again, you know, maybe it is before they're looking for a job, just reach out and say, hey, I'm really interested to know about your line of work and what you like about it and what you don't and and what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. And you just never know where that's going to pay off down the road. Awesome networking advice and some really neat perspectives from Eleni and Jan that I think really speak to the importance of both building and maintaining your professional network, no matter what point you're at in your career. With the PSYOP annual conference in Orlando just around the corner, we hope this content will help you get your PSYOP networking groove on this year. Remember to really utilize those tools we discussed, like being active on social media sites such as LinkedIn, and making it out to conferences when you get a chance. If you're at a conference event and you can't figure out how to approach someone or what to say, 
try casually beelining to the refreshment table and making some small talk. Remember to try and keep the conversation in an other-oriented direction and be cognizant of the type of person you're talking to and what their interests are. Just try not to come on too strong. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we'd love to hear any feedback you may have or suggestions for future topics of discussion. So please feel free to email us at podcast at psyop.org. Again, I'm Kelly Stewart and thanks for listening to this episode of the IO Podcast. We hope to see you all in Orlando this year. It's going to be a great conference. We've got some really neat new events lined up, uh, one of which I'm super excited about called Shaken and Stirred. The purpose of the event is to shake and stir perspectives and challenge our thinking in order to forge new ground for the future of I.O. There will be 15 hand-picked thought leaders and mavericks from a variety of backgrounds both within and outside I.O. Each speaker will have just two minutes each to answer one seemingly simple question. What if? The event will happen on Friday, April 28th from 4.30 to 6 p.m. So come check it out.